Acts 26. We're in Acts 26. In book of Acts, victory no matter what through our faith in Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 26, if you want to turn to that. And the title for today is The Best Defense is a Good Offense. The best defense is a good offense. Trial number three, Paul's defense before King Agrippa, which we started last time, Acts 26. Going to do the whole chapter, so put on your seatbelts. I'm going to do it. Can you imagine somebody being kept in prison with no real charges? I know that's hard to imagine, isn't it? Or trying to put someone in prison for fake charges. Can you imagine that happening? Uh, You know, it's really hard to imagine, right? I don't know if you saw what happened this week, Mark uh, Houck. Uh, was cleared of, I'll just read the headline, of the FACE Act charges and in, in rebuke to the Justice Department's aggressive prosecution. He's uh, from Kittnersville, Pennsylvania, right near us here in, in Bucks County. He was at a, a crisis, uh, he was at a Planned Parenthood with his uh, son and some other people, and they were trying to encourage women, praying for women out front and trying to encourage if anybody would like to, you know, reconsider an abortion. And one of the death scorts, one of the Nazi guards there, got went, became very aggressive with his son. So he stepped between them, and the person got even still going after the son, verbally attacking. So he, he pushed him back, didn't shove him down, didn't knock him, just said, pushed him back a couple of times, said, leave my son alone. Twelve-year-old son, you know, they pick on those, you know, the little ones, right? Uh after local authorities declined to press charges, came no charges pressed because it wasn't anything. The U.S. Department of Justice stepped in, dispatching a team of FBI agents to arouse Hoke at gunpoint in front of his terrified wife and children. Gunpoint. All right. Uh, many federal lawmakers blasted the FBI's heavy-handed tactics and the Justice Department used the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrance Act, although the 1993 federal law, known as the FACE Act, was written to also prosecute crimes at pro-life pregnancy facilities and places of worship, it has been used almost exclusively against pro-life activists. In fact, the Department of Justice won't prosecute anything happening at the crisis pregnancy centers or churches with that same law. There, since uh, the overturn of Roe versus Wade, since the Dobbs decision, there have been over 350 attacks on churches and crisis pregnancy centers because of this very issue. 350 attacks on these uh, churches and crisis pregnancy centers, and they just finally arrested two people. That's it. Two people have been arrested over that whole time. They found Mark Houck and, and with gunpoint and found him no problem. But they can't find any of these people that are burning churches and attacking churches and, and in crisis pregnancy centers. It's just insane what has gone on. Uh, so, listen, it's nothing new. Christians have always been falsely accused, have been arrested, have been punished, have been killed all throughout the history. It's because it's not about breaking the law, but shutting down the gospel and shutting up the truth. And and that's what this is really about. We see the same exact thing happening here to Apostle Paul in Acts 25, which we saw now Acts 26. He hasn't broken any laws. He hasn't broken any Roman or Jewish laws and definitely not God's law, right? And yet here he is on his third trial defending himself, third time defending himself. And what a defense it is. 
we can learn a lot from Paul's defense. Wild here. Lessons for us in the USA today. And the, and, and the, the title for today is the best defense is a good offense. Just like the NFL playoffs where the Eagles will be playing uh, next week. This here, this trial that we're seeing today is really the NFC championship. Just like the Eagles won that. This is Paul's NFC championship. And then he's going to be on to the Super Bowl, which we're going to see next week. On to the Super Bowl. He's going to go to Rome. He's going to go up against Caesar himself. And he wins that battle. He wins that battle. He Proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ before Caesar and in Rome and a church is established in Rome. He wins that battle, but he ultimately loses his life. He loses his life. It would be like, um, remember with the Buffalo Bills player, Daryl Hamlin? He has the heart problem, but he hasn't played since. But imagine he came back for the Buffalo Bills game that they lost in the playoffs. They lost to Cincinnati. Imagine if he showed up to that game and played, even with his heart condition, and inspired the team so much that they won that game. Imagine that, and yet he dies in the process. He, he, he knows he's very, taking lots of risks. He, they win the game, but he dies on the field because of what he did. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul does. He goes to the Super Bowl. He goes before Caesar and he goes to Rome. And he knew that he was going to ultimately die by doing. He had no, he knew he was going to die. And yet, why did he go? Because he was called. He was called to go and win that spiritual battle. In Acts 23, 9, it says this. There was a great uproar and some of the teachers of law who were Pharisees stood up and argued. Oh, wait, no, no, I'm sorry. It's uh, 23. Uh, 23, 9 to 11. I'm going to read that. I think I maybe mixed you up somehow. In Acts 23, 9 to 11, where it says, uh, Oh, no, I used it. I did have to give you the right one. Okay, I didn't go far enough. Okay, there was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man. All right, go ahead. Keep going now. Verse 10. Sorry, I messed you up there. Uh, the dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. Here we go. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, as you have testified, testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. So we know he went, even though he would know he would ultimately die in Rome, he went because he was called by Jesus to go and win that battle, even though it was going to cost him his life. That's why he went. Let's get to the defense, but let's pray first. Father, we just pray for your Holy Spirit to speak to us. Wherever we are, wherever we're listening, we pray for your Holy Spirit to speak to us. We pray for your mercy and grace for this to happen. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so here we are. Let's pick it up with uh, Acts 26. In Acts 26, verse 1, Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have per- uh, He's brought him back for the third time. Now he's got his third trial here. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, now remember, this is King Agrippa, uh, he already was before Felix, 
He already dealt with Festus, but now Festus brings King Agrippa for the third trial here. And Paul's talking to King Agrippa. Now, King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews. And especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish laws and customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. One of King Agrippa's main jobs there in Palestine were the Jewish affairs. That's what he was there for. He controlled the temple treasury and the appointment of the high priest. He was an expert in Jewish affairs, and that's why Rome would consult him when they needed advice on these crazy Jews that were causing so many problems for Rome, right? And that's why Paul speaks so pointedly to King Agrippa. When, he, when he's giving his defense, he speaks very pointedly to him because he knows, Agrippa knows all the Jewish affairs very well. And then Paul goes on to give the begin his defense. He says, the Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope and what God has promised our ancestors that I am trial today. This is the promise of our, our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I, too, was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys... I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a bright, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. Whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. We'll be coming back to that verse. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. Did I hit the end? Oh, yeah. Okay. I hit it. Okay, good. So he gives his, he he describes how he went from being a persecutor to an evangelist. 
a persecutor to an evangelist. So far, the trial, so far, so good. There have been no objections, right? The, the defense, uh, the prosecution, no objections, nothing. Why? Because what is Paul sharing here? He's sharing his story. He's sharing his testimony. And it's hard to argue with somebody's testimony, even if it sounds crazy to someone. Oh, well, maybe they really did see an alien, right? You know, maybe someone, you know, maybe this Jesus guy really did it. It's hard to argue with our testimony, how God is, Jesus has changed our life, how he's made a radical change in our life. And that's what he's describing. He went from a persecutor to an evangelist for Jesus. This is radical. But that's why we need to use our testimonies. People will argue, don't, you know, there's a time for apologetics and all that stuff but but the best starting point is sharing our story our testimony how jesus has changed us it's hard for people to argue but then paul crosses the line (laughs) it's going great and then he crosses the line uh verse 22 but i have god i've had god's help to this very day and so i stand here and testify to small and great alike I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. What's the real charge here? What is the real gist of why he's standing here making his defense? It's the resurrection of the dead. It's Jesus Christ's resurrection. That is his real issue. That is the real what it's all about here, the, 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 the whole thing comes down to one thing, the resurrection, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And not just Jesus Christ, the Messiah's resurrection, but he said he's the first fruit, the first fruit. He's talking about everyone who puts their faith in Jesus. The same thing, everyone who puts their faith in Jesus. He was the first, but all who are Christians, all who put their faith in Jesus, are guaranteed that same resurrection from the dead, that same resurrection to life someday. We have that. And, the, and, and Paul says that's exactly what he, look at what he said. He goes, that's exactly what Moses, the law, and the prophet said would happen. And that's what proves that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He fulfilled those prophecies, and he also died and rose from the dead. That is proof that he was God's Son. We've been talking about that. We talked about that last week. But this is too much. He crosses the line. This is too much for Governor Festus. He embarrasses uh, Festus in front of all these important guests. And in verse 24, it says, At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. He, he, he he's embarrassed him, right? He's in front of King Agrippa and all these big shots. He's embarrassed him. Here he is trying to impress the king and the crowd with, with this You know, this big trial here. And crazy Paul starts raving about Jesus Christ's resurrection. That would be like you call someone in front of Congress to to testify, an expert witness in front of Congress to testify. And they start, they they start, they talk about, they answer the questions. And then they keep going and start talking about how they saw an alien. They were abducted by aliens and they went up in a spaceship. And everybody would be like rolling their eyes. What? Who would you bring in front of here to the front of the Congress, right? But that's how crazy this was. He freaked St. Paul because this concept of, of resurrection was completely foreign to the pagan world in New Testament times. Completely foreign. The world still thinks it's crazy, doesn't it? The world still thinks that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is crazy. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of of God. 
The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's still crazy. And even worse, not only is it crazy, foolish to the foolish world, but they also hate the gospel. They hate the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Many hate it. In Philippians 3.18, it says this. For now, as I have often told you and now tell you again, even with many even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their, their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Does that describe much of the world today? They, they, they hate the gospel. We're seeing this all over the world. Intense persecution. Many countries, Christians are being hunted and, and, and wiped out <clears throat> completely. And you don't hear about it in our press. Why? Because our media is okay with it. You know? Uh, it, and increasingly, <clears throat> increasingly in the USA today, we're seeing this very thing beginning. We're seeing it coming. These crisis pregnancy centers being attacked. These churches being attacked using the excuse of pro you know, Pro, you know, pro-choice and, and real Christians being attacked, not the fake Christians, not the apostate, not the woke Christians. They're fine. The world loves them. You know, they, they fit right in. But the true Christians are the ones who are hated today. We're seeing it happen, seeing it happen. But crazy Paul's not intimidated. He just keeps on going. He goes from defense to offense. Even though he's being attacked, he goes right from defense on the offense. He uses this attack as an opportunity to share the gospel. And we must do the same. When we're attacked, when we're attacked, look for the, use it. Use it to go on the offense. Use it to, to share the gospel. Focus on that. Just don't worry about defending yourself. Don't worry about, you know, winning an argument. Share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Take advantage of that, that, that attack. And we see in Acts 26, 25, look what Paul says. He says, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm true, what I'm saying is true and reasonable. Uh, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. Look at how he responds. He doesn't overreact. He uses tact. And then he stays on track. He stays on track. Look at verse 26. He says this. The king is familiar with these things. I can speak openly with him because I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. So he, 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 he says, see how the Holy Spirit is leading Paul. What is he doing? He's zeroing in on King Agrippa. He's focusing it all on him now. He knows that King Agrippa knows all about Jesus of Nazareth. It'd be impossible for him not to. But Paul knew, definitely knew, and the Holy Spirit told him this. He knew he knew all about uh, uh, King uh, uh, about Jesus. In fact, here, the Jewish historian, I'm just going to read you a quote from Josephus. The Jewish historian who wrote from the Romans, Josephus, wrote that Jesus was known as a doer of startling deeds. And a teacher who gained a following both among the Jews and many of the Greek origin. This is Josephus, Roman historian, Jewish guy writing for the Romans. This was the Roman history book. That's what he wrote about. Believe me, King Agrippa knows all about Jesus. He couldn't live in Israel and not have heard everything about Jesus. And then Paul goes for the jugular. 
He goes right for the jugular. Acts 26, verse 27. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. <laughs> wow. Mr. President, do you believe the Bible? I know you do. King Elizabeth, uh, Queen, Queen Elizabeth, do you believe the Bible? I know you do, King Charles now. Do you believe that? You know, he went right after, you know, you know uh, what is Putin? Uh, uh, what is he called? The premier or whatever he is. Putin, do you believe the Bible? I know you do. He went right after the top you know, guy here. He, he goes right after him. You talk about going on the offense. He goes for it. He puts King Agrippa on the hot seat, doesn't he? That's what he's doing. Paul must not have read the U.S. trainings on evangelism uh, that were written for in the United States. You know, never offend or upset anybody, you know. You know, you never read the evangelism training books in the United States. Paul wasn't seeker sensitive. He was Holy Spirit sensitive. He followed the Holy Spirit's leading. And look what Agrippa says to him. He says, in verse 28, he says, Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? It wasn't a short time. It wasn't a short time. He knew the prophecies. He knew all about Jesus Christ. He had been hearing lots of stories. That's why he wanted to hear Paul here. He had been hearing lots of stories. It wasn't a short time. He, his whole family, the Herods, knew all about Jesus. His great-grandfather, Herod the not-so-great, uh, was the one who tried to kill baby Jesus. His great-uncle, Herod Antipas, killed John the Baptist... Beheaded John the Baptist and colluded with, with Pilate to kill Jesus. He was in on that. Uh, his father, Herod Agrippa I, killed James in the, uh, in the book of Acts. We already saw that. He killed James. And now Herod Agrippa II, who's standing before us here, had heard it all. He had heard the prophecies. He had heard about Jesus Christ's death. He had heard about his resurrection. You know, he couldn't miss it. He knew all about Christianity, which was spreading like wildfire through, throughout not just Palestine, but the, but, but the Roman Empire. In fact, he uses the name Christian here. That was a nickname that was given to the Christians. He knew the jargon. He knew what they were called. He, he used that very name, but <clears throat> he walked away from it. There's no record of Herod Agrippa ever becoming a Christian. And it's so sad. So many are so close, walking along the edge of a cliff. They, 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 they're so close to putting their faith. They're right. The truth of Jesus is right in front of them. In fact, the King James Version, if you have that version, it says, you almost, he said, Agrippa said, you almost persuaded me to be a Christian. There's that sense tied in with this. And it's tragic. In 35 years of ministry, I've seen so many people get so close, dip their toe in the water, even go into the water, be baptized because they were going to make that commitment. And then, Walk away, fall away, not make that decision. Dip their toe in the water and just, now something's going to hold me back. It, it's heartbreaking. But we see Paul's powerful response to Agrippa where he says this. He says in verse 29, he says, Paul replied, short time or long, I pray God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. Powerful. I pray all who are listening to me may become what I am except for these chains. He, he, it's, a, it's powerful. First of all, we see, what is he praying for? He's praying for Herod Agrippa's salvation, isn't he? 
This is wicked, a wicked Herod. Uh, they're from a wicked family and a wicked king. Yet he prays for Herod Agrippa's salvation. And that should be what we are doing too. We may have wicked rulers, but we should still pray for their salvation. In fact, Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, verse 1, he says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions and prayers intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness this is good and pleases god our savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth so we see that Paul says we should pray for all of our leaders and kings. And Paul, don't forget, Paul, you know, he was under some wicked leaders, right? Uh, we, but he says we should pray for our leaders, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Not just the ones we like, <clears throat> not just the ones we're going to vote for. We should pray for the good, the bad, and the ugly, all of our leaders. We should be praying for their salvation. Look what it's talking about. Praying for their salvation. Praying for their repentance. Praying for the repentance, praying for righteousness. Those who, you know, that they would live righteous lives, or if they if they are believers, that they would stay righteous. Pray for their protection. We should be praying for their protection. You know, I know we have a scary president, spiritually a scary president, but it's even scarier if he dies. I pray all the time, God, please don't let anything happen to, to our president, because look who would become the president. But anyway, we won't go there. Uh, but 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 praying for their protection. You know, uh, for God's and this is what we pray for them. We pray for God's purpose to be fulfilled in their leadership. God's purpose, no matter what it is. It might be something good. It might be something that we consider bad for America. But it might be God's purpose, right? God's judgment on our country. God, Whatever it is, God's blessing, God's judgment. God has a purpose for every leader. And we pray that God's purpose would be fulfilled. We, we should pray for our leaders. And I say thank you to Brian Clark for reminding me of that a little while ago. So I got it done, Brian. I hope you're somewhere in, on your travels in Europe and you hear this one. Uh, thank you for that reminder. Acts 26, 29. I'm going to read it again. Paul replied, short time or long, I pray God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these Change. Paul's prayer is for not just King Agrippa, but for everyone. That same prayer, short time or long, short time or long, you and all who are listening may become what I am except for these shades. I pray that same thing for everybody who's watching this, wherever you are. We have people all over the place watching. Wherever you are, I pray that you will become what what. Paul is talking about what Paul is, except for these chains. That's a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That, that except for these chains. Paul may have been chained here. Paul was chained. But he was the only one in the room who was truly free. Do you ever think about that? He was the only one who was free. He's saying, I want you to be, I may be chained temporarily here, but I, he was the only one who was free. They were, he was temporarily chained, temporarily chained by man, but they were chained by sin and death and Satan. He talked about ch- Satan having them. T- chained by Satan. They were chained. And so as soon as Paul says this, Herod Agrippa walks out. Look at, look at what happens next. Verse 30. He says, the king rose and with him, the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. 
except that was his call to appeal to Caesar, to go to the Super Bowl, right? To sacrifice his life. That was his call ultimately. So uh, <clears throat> Herod Agrippa, though, as soon as Paul says this, he gets up and walks out. Why the abrupt exit? Did you ever think about that? Why would you just get up and walk out? I've seen people walk out during my preaching. Just get up and walk out. I know something hit them. Zing. Not me. God's word. The Holy Spirit zinged them. They got up and walked out. And that's exactly what happened to King Agrippa. Paul rocked Agrippa's world. He rocked his world. He was convicted. He was convicted. He knew the truth. Paul knew it. I know you know, Agrippa. I know you know. He, he knew the truth. He knew the truth, but the zing really happened in Acts 26, 20. I said, we'll come back to that, where it says, <clears throat> I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove the repentance by their deeds. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove the repentance by their deeds. That was still ringing in his ears. He knew that in order to become a Christian, he would have to give up his sin. He would have to repent. So many people don't preach this anymore. They just say, oh, I just believe in Jesus. God is love, blah, blah, blah. Listen, God loves us for sure, but he sacrificed his son Jesus. But we, before we can put our faith, faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin. You put your faith in Jesus, you are agreeing to repent of sin. Anything in your life that goes against God's word, this isn't Swiss cheese. You can't pick and choose. Anything in God's word that goes in your life that goes against God's word, you must repent of in order to put your faith in Jesus Christ. God, please forgive my sin. I put my faith in Jesus who died for my sin. They are tied together. It's impossible to separate them. And if you just pray the prayer of faith, I just want to believe in Jesus. You have done nothing. You've deceived yourself. You've been deceived. And many people in America are inoculated by a false gospel. There must be God. I repent of my sin. Anything in my life that goes against what your word says. And I put my faith in Jesus to forgive my sin. By his death on that cross and resurrection from the dead, I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to him. Have you ever done that? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus? And Agrippa was not willing to repent. He knew that to become a Christian, he would have to give up his sin. He would have to give up his sister, Bernice, who he had was living to, together with in incest. He knew that. And just like his uncle, Herod Antipas, just like his uncle, Herod Antipas, who was living with his brother's wife in adultery, had married her, and John the Baptist called him out, and what did he do? He cut off John's head, cut off her head, cut off his head. His, his, his wife convinced him to do that. It's a whole other story. But, but that's what he did. He wouldn't repent. And this is exactly what happens here to Herod Agrippa. And so many people choose their sin. They choose their chains. They choose that over freedom and life. They choose that over Jesus Christ. They choose hell over eternal life in heaven someday. They, so many, I see so many are so close to faith, but they don't, so close to putting their faith in Jesus, but they don't want to give up their sin. And it's usually one specific 
sin. Uh, maybe many times it's addictive sins that have, you know, the Bible calls them besetting sins. There's something you can repent of, right, and, and get freedom of. Many times it's bitterness. Many times it's the worldview that they've bought and the lie of the worldview, you know, the, the, the spiritual wokeness, their political identity. They don't want to give that up. They hang on to their sin. Whatever it is, that person, place, or thing they hold on to, they're not willing to give that up in order to have Jesus Christ in real life in Jesus Christ. It reminds me of what I saw recently in the news. There, did you, I don't know if you saw it. Uh, there was a, a, a man in Pennsylvania who had a, uh, an emotional support pet. It was an alligator. Did you see that? Wally the alligator. And he got it when he was young, was smaller, but now he's big. He was five feet tall, long now, this alligator. And, and it, going on how he, this is his emotional support pet, Wally the alligator. Five feet long. He's big. Looks scary to me. And here he's holding him and he hugs him and he sleeps in the bed with him. And he kisses him goodnight. He's sleeping in the bed. He's kissing him goodnight. And listen, you know, he, he finds emotional support. You think that sounds crazy, but a lot of people do this, don't they? They're sleeping with alligators. They're sleeping with the enemy. It's just a matter of time before this guy learns a very painful lesson. Reminds me of what I saw years ago in, uh, El- uh, oh, where was I? I gotta pull this one out. Uh, oh, here it is. A guy in Australia had a, a pet, uh, crocodile. 71 year old Australian man uh, who had a pet crocodile, but, um, he was, it, 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 one day it bit him. And he lost his arm to his pet crocodile. And he, and the wildlife officer showed up to shoot him. And he says, don't, don't shoot him. Don't shoot him. Don't kill my crocodile. It's all my fault. I asked her if she wanted some fish. I put my hand in the bucket and didn't give her a fish. There, there was no fish left in the bucket. And all she could think about was the fish. So she bit my hand, took my arm off, right? And, and he goes, so he, he, he convinced them not to shoot her. He kept her as his pet. Kept her as his pet. He says, I must admit, I do keep her at arm's length now. Must be the other arm. (laughs) But I get in the pen with her and give her a bit of a scratch. It's crazy, right? We're thinking, how who would be so stupid to do that? But we do that, don't we? We we have something that meets an emotional need for us. That is what the Bible says: sin. It's going to kill us. It's going to take off an arm. It's going to destroy us. It, it's it's killing us. And so many people allow that to keep them from Jesus Christ. But so many of us as Christians, are we sleeping with the enemy? Are we sleeping with the enemy? We must Acts twenty six twenty. We must. I preach that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. That has to be real in our life. And if you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, the only way we can truly put our faith in Jesus Christ, we have to repent of anything in our life that goes against God's word. Anything. Are we willing to change our life, to surrender and give that to Jesus Christ and put our faith in Jesus and then allow him to work in our life, that progressive sanctification, that change that has to happen in our life? Have you ever truly put your faith in Jesus Christ? Said, God, I repent of anything in my life. Anything and everything that goes against your word, every sin, I repent of it. I walk. Repent means you're walking this way. You turn and walk the other way. I turn and walk away. I put my faith in Jesus, his death on the cross for me to pay for that sin. I repent and put my faith in Jesus. That's what John 3.16 is talking about. 
John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever really believed in Jesus? Put your faith in him. Say, God, I repent of sin and I believe in Jesus. I put my faith in him. I give my life to him. Have you ever taken that step? You can do that right now. And Christians, as Christians, have we, have we said we prayed that prayer, but have it, has our faith been proved real? Has it been proved real? Have we seen that progressive sanctification, that change in our life now we're not perfect but we're seeing we're seeing the progressive progress of progress sanctification in john eight thirty one, a little later after john three sixteen, to the jews who had believed jesus said if you hold to my teaching you are really my disciples if you hold my teaching if you if you really are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you will hold to his teaching. You can't say, well, I believe, I believe a lot of the Bible and not this and that and this and that. I don't believe that. Well, then you're not really a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's clear. The only way to prove it, if our faith is real, is we have to hold to his teaching. All of his teaching, we have to hold to it. Uh, are we defending our faith? Are we on the offense witnessing like Paul was here? Are people calling us crazy? If no one's calling you crazy in this, in this world, in the USA today, then you're not really following Jesus. You're not really, are we making people crazy? Are they calling us crazy because we're making them crazy because we're speaking the truth in love? You know, what the Bible says? Are we, and are we using every attack as an opportunity to share Jesus Christ? Are we taking advantage of every attack? To do that, let's pray. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Are we on the offense as Christians? Yeah, we, we're, we're getting hit. We've got to defend, but are we going on offense? Are we sharing Jesus Christ? Are we willing to look crazy to the world? Make people crazy to share Jesus Christ. If we're not getting any of these openings, we're probably not living as Christians because there would be a lot of chances when we, when we lived as a Christian in this culture. We're going to get plenty of open doors, open attacks, aren't we? What in our life as Christians, what in our life is not consistent with God's word, what do what what emotional support sin are we sleeping with, hanging on to? What do we need to surrender to Jesus? Maybe you're watching this and you're not a Christian yet. You've never put your faith in Jesus. Maybe you've even prayed a prayer one time, but you know after hearing this, it's not real. There's never been a repentance. There's never been a change, a radical change in your life. Are you ready to repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ? Are you ready to surrender your life to him for real? To break free of Satan's chains and the world's chains and sin and and death Break free of those chains and be chained to Jesus Christ.
which is true freedom, which is real life, which includes eternal life with him someday. Instead of judgment, having eternal life. The simple prayer of faith. You may have already put your faith in Jesus in your heart even now, but I just encourage people to pray the simple but powerful prayer of faith to put an exclamation point on their faith in Jesus. Just say, God, I repent. I repent of my sin. Every sin, I repent of it. I ask you to forgive me. Because I'm putting my faith in your son Jesus. I'm putting my trust in his death on that cross for me to pay for my sin. I put my faith and trust in him in his, on the cross and his resurrection. I give my life to Jesus. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, you are now a Christian, a real Christian. And your life is going to change. If it's real, it's going to change. Radically change because the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. And I want to encourage you to let somebody know you've taken that step so they can encourage you and help you. You can... Call me, text me, email me, uh, nhcc at comcast.net. Or you have a Christian friend or family member that you can talk to. Tell somebody so that we can be excited for you and help you grow in your new faith to reach your progressive sanctification. Father, I pray that every one of us, small or great, would become what? Paul was, except for his chains. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.